So 33 House Democrats joined the Republicans to pass a bill to roll back parts of Dodd-Frank, which is the banking reform that was passed after the Wall Street crisis. What could go wrong? Um, basically, and you know, our listeners uh, can probably guess how we feel about this, but I'll just let the onion speak for itself. The onion headline, 2024 financial collapse passes house 258 to 159. Let's do the drop. <laughs> We often hear holiday meaning white person in a negative connotation, but is a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced of foreign origin or foreign introduction. So in Hawaiian, anyone or anything that is not native to Hawaii is haole. I'm Leilani Poli Ahu. Ahui ho. Haole. Haole is a perfectly good word. Welcome to Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm Ryan Little. I'm Josh Michaels. And we are back for our 19th episode. Hey, 19. That's a song, right? Yeah. Everything's a song. If you sing it. So. What are we doing today? We have a super, very interesting, You're like interesting to the point that you're going to be so surprised that a politician could be so interesting politician interview. We are interviewing Honolulu City Council Chair Ernie Martin. Very cool guy. He's been on the city council for two terms, been the chair twice during that time, and is currently running for the seat being vacated by Colleen Hanabusa uh, as she pursues the Hawaii governorship. That's true. So we're going to keep it, like I said, a little light, but just a few things for you to know. Currently, if you're listening to this, I am working on a small road show of the southern United States as I am back visiting family. Uh, so I'm actually not on island. So if you are looking to firebomb my house, I will not be there. I wish I was in the land of cotton. Good times there were not forgotten. You know, I had the most southern experience look I've away, ever had away, yesterday. Yeah. Is, uh, I, was, I was carpooling home with my friend and out of nowhere, this car is taking forever. And just out of nowhere, it popped. I go... What are you waiting on him to whistle Dixie? And my, the the person I was carpooling with was like, what? And I was like, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. That, yeah. that, that never happens. That never, this is, this is the first time that's ever happened. I'm so embarrassed. So that's that. And what do you got? Well, uh, Ryan is going to be out of town. I will still be here. Let's so first. if you want to firebomb his house, yeah. he's still there. Feel free. Hit me up. Let's talk about what I'm going to do in my week off without my best friend in the whole wide world, Ryan Little. No. Well. Not record a podcast on Saturday morning. Let's think. Yeah. Sleep in on Saturday. I will be watching. Oh, actually, by the time this comes out, by the time this comes out, the Champions League final will have already happened. And you will be the proud supporter of the uh, brand new second place team in the UEFA Champions League. (laughs) Listeners, uh, episode 19 will actually be our final episode of the Blue Hawaii podcast. Uh, I really want Liverpool to win. I feel like you've turned me into well, a Liverpool you know, I'm, fan. Well, I'm, let's be honest. I don't have an EPL team. Let's be honest. I'm kind of on the fence, you know, about the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. As I Josh mean, unfurls his, uh, his tattooed arm. I feel like, well, coming Saturday, we'll know like if I have to add a six star to my left shoulder. Let's I hope, hope so. you do. I hope you have to have a sixth and then a seventh next LA, year. Ale, ale, ale. You'll never walk alone. Um, I feel like, oh, uh, another thing, just if you're still listening, 
Uh, if, if you're still listening. Pre- the banter's not been as, as on point as it normally is, but you know what? We're just, we're free-forming it. Uh, we're still looking for interns. And we really, if you know somebody who needs help uh, with a, a resume booster, uh, we write great cover letters and uh, no, we're good we people recommend to call we're write their references. Cover. We're, we're, gonna write refer- we're not going to write their cover letter. No, we'll write a cover we're letter. Their- Listeners. <laughs> we will... We will do whatever it takes to get an intern. We need some help, y'all. Yeah. Um, I've I did mean of, yeah. I did mean letters of reference. <laughs> <laughs> yes, spoiler alert. Uh, well. Also. Yeah. We've got some really big things planned for you guys this summer. Um, we sort of scaled up our operation. The first twenty episodes have been us figuring out who we are, what we want to talk about, what our format's going to be, who's willing to talk to us, and. Fortunately, whenever you interview the presumptive favorite for governor, a lot more people want to start talking to you. Hey. And so we've got a lot more opportunities, including some people who are known nationally, some people that are known maybe globally, and uh, we're looking forward to bringing that to you. So I'm so am I. I'm curious to find out who's known globally. <laughs> it's us. Oh, it's us. We do have listeners in Japan. Yeah. So stay tuned. Also, um, we are planning. In the beginning, the infancy of planning our first ever <gasps> live show. <gasps> Stay tuned. More details coming soon. It's going to be dope. Blue Hawaii Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Stay tuned for Council Chair Ernie Martin, brought to you by Homebrew in Paradise. Homebrew in Paradise. Blue Hawaii. Welcome back to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. We're very pleased to be joined this afternoon in Kaimuki by... City Council Chair Ernie Martin, who's running for Congress. Let me give you a little bit of his bio. So, Chair Martin represents District 2, which stretches from Mililani all the way around the North Shore, past Kahuku Point, down to Kahulu on the east side. He's running for the 1st Congressional District, for the seat being vacated by Congresswoman Colleen Hanabusa. Chair Martin is a distinguished graduate of the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and also has an MA in Sociology and a JD from the William S. Richardson School of Law, Go Bows. Just like many distinguished Richardson grads that we hope to talk to, we're very proud of our institution. Fun fact, he started his career at the city as a groundskeeper trainee, so he's really seen all sides of city government. Uh, with that said, Chair Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome well, to the thank program. Thank you for having me, man. I, mean, really look, I was really looking forward to coming here and doing this. I mean, they, they built you guys up. You know, Tom Randy, you got to do this <laughs> oh, one. You got to do this Uh-oh. one. <laughs> well, let us know who they are, and we'll be sure to have a stern word with them. <laughs> well, yeah, we'd love to talk to them. Yeah. Thank you for being a trooper. Uh, coming to meet us in ryan's house uh where there is no ac and no ventilation and make it a little steamy in here <laughs> yeah um but that's what we do listeners. that's most of the strategy is when you get too hot and you're just disoriented yeah. you answer questions the guard, much more oh, yeah. guard comes down a yeah. little bit we like get <laughs> yeah chair martin let's start with what's going on at honolulu Hale. uh you were chair of the city council and then you weren't chair and now you're chair again so what exactly happened you know that's politics itself i mean i was fortunate you know um i, I can't complain I mean, you know, I, I initially when I got elected uh, within the first six months of my term, I was elected by the membership as the chair. And I was able to hold on to that seat uh, for almost five and a half years. And I didn't realize at that time, but, you know, the long time, uh, long timers told me, well, you know, Ernie, you're the longest serving chair ever. Nobody has ever held that seat wow. for that long, five and a half years, which I didn't realize it at that time. 
but you know like it like anything in the in a political environment i mean the members decided to go in a different direction you know i equate it to like playing football yeah. you always think the second <laughs> string quarterback can yeah. do better than a first string quarterback so they let the second string go in you put him in the game and yeah three interceptions later you think exactly. okay wait. <laughs> I, I know this very, very well, uh, being an Auburn Tigers fan. So uh-huh. I, I went to Auburn, <laughs> and uh, we had a, a second-string quarterback by the name of Jeremy Johnson. And I'll, I'll just get into that chronology a little bit with you. We had a first-string guy named Nick Marshall, all-SEC all SEC caliber player, took us to the national championship. The next year, he slumped for a little bit. Everybody's like, put Jeremy Johnson in. And they never did it. And we were like, oh, that's why we lost all those games. The next year, Jeremy Johnson started. He was so bad that he threw a pass backwards one time. It's yep. It's not true. The second yeah. string guy is never better than the first string guy. Are we, or he would be the first string guy. Are, are we characterizing Chair Martin's political opponents as the Auburn Jeremy Tigers Johnson's? football team? <laughs> <laughs> maybe the bad year? I don't know. Yeah, maybe the or bad we're year, characterizing but... him as Nick Marshall. That's the uh, point I'm okay, trying to make. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's basically what happened. I mean, then I have had the opportunity to go back into leadership, and that's where I'm at at this particular point. How would you characterize uh, your relationship and the council's relationship with the mayor? And what's sort of the, the back and forth between you, your two sides? If you had to use a term that is either bad, very bad, or extremely bad. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I would say friendly adversarial. Okay. You know, I mean, um, you know, it's the inevitable tension you're going to yeah. have between the executive and legislative branch. You know, I think, unfortunately, the media only shows the part where we disagree. Yeah, sure. You know, I always tell people that we agree yeah. 90 to 95% of the time, but on that 5%, you know, which a lot, most times controversial issues yeah. and you know I, i'm not one to shy away from from asking those hard questions but and offering my my criticisms of of where i think that the city should be headed you know unfortunately the mayor is a little different than me in the sense that he takes things a little more personally than i do which yeah. i hope a that smile he, comes across our faces <laughs> shots fired shots fired you know but and and that's why i think uh, it's probably more on his part than the council's part i think you know we understand i mean i, I worked my way in the executive branch sure. and ironically i served with uh, kurt Caldwell when he was managing director i was a uh, deputy director for one of the departments under mufi hanneman oh. you know so we knew each other but i also knew his style of leadership and his style of management you know which differed from mine and, you know so that's the issue itself but the people's business still gets done you know, we and unfortunately the media they like to, yeah. to play up the, the the fact where we do disagree. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I don't take it personally. So on that on that note, uh, how would you describe your leadership style? What is your what is your vision for how you do your work? I think uh, the the my leadership style is you know um, I have a lot of respect for the body as a whole. You know, I have I have respect for all the members. I think uh, with respect to uh, under my leadership, you know, even though you're you're elected by a majority, even the those in the minority also, you know, have an interest that they need to represent. You know, and the key is although you know in in some uh, leadership styles, you know, they tend to be vindictive against those uh, who 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 don't support the leadership. But my style is, you know, everybody needs to represent their constituency. I think that's why I held it on so long. Even for those who may not have supported me when I became chair, I made sure that, you know, if they had an interest that was specific to their district, that I would ensure that, you know, we would show the whole body uh, of the council behind that member to ensure that his district was well served. So um, on that same note, I guess for we have a lot of listeners on the mainland. Um, uh-huh. Strong contingent in the South. That's right. Yeah, um, I'm I'm originally really? from Alabama. If oh, you couldn't okay. tell by the Auburn football story, yeah, 
So for and <laughs> since you're at, you're you know you made a great point. You know everybody's got their constituents. Everybody's got their unique district. Uh, how would you describe District Two to somebody who's never been to Hawaii? Uh, you know, I gotta say I'm prejudiced in that regards, but uh, you know it's actually the most beautiful part of Oahu. You know, people always say when they come to Hawaii, they want to experience Waikiki. And I always tell them, go experience Waikiki. But if you have time, come to the North Shore. Yeah. Because that's really Hawaii. You know, Waikiki is commercialized. The mm-hmm. North Shore is far different. You're really going to see a part of Hawaii that unless you're born and raised here, you you don't fully appreciate but I think for those who come to visit, I mean, uh, you know, visiting the North Shore and even uh, around the Windward Coast, I mean, it's the most scenic part of yeah, the island absolutely. itself and the most friendly people. You know, they, these are people who don't necessarily come into urban Honolulu. They're still rural in yeah. that regards. Unless they absolutely have to. Yeah. You know, and I represent like Kahuku. Every football game yeah. that Kahuku plays, that Every town is empty. Event. Yeah, literally, it doesn't matter. That's how strong the community is. So they turn out an army. Oh, definitely. I was. Uh, I went at a a friend's son was uh, playing basketball at Punahou for the state championship this year, and I saw it was gonna it was Punahou and Kahuku, yeah. And, yes. Uh, yes. And I didn't go to the state championship game because I was like, I don't want to be around if Kahuku loses. <laughs> I was like, those guys are gonna get yeah. rowdy. Yeah. Also. It, if they had to guess what they, you know, of those two sides, people are probably going to assume you're on the Punahou team. Oh, oh yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. That's for sure. Tall, tall Howley guy with a fade <laughs> on the side of his head. Uh, yeah, they're going to be like, oh, no. He's but you know, that's, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because if, if you know people from that particular area, they're actually very friendly. They're very oh, they're competitive, the but they're very friendly. I mean, they can meet you for the first time and whether you cheer for Punahou yeah. or not is irrelevant to them. They'll treat you like, you know, oh, yeah. they've known you for years. Yeah, the, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, I haven't lived in Hawaii that long, six years now, and uh, you get a sense for kind of the individual portions of the island and kind of the, you know, personality of the people that live there. And like Kahuku area is like, it's so unique. I mean, you go up to Kahuku Superette and like, yes, you go grab some poke. It's like the people will just be like telling you their life story while they're cutting the freshest fish you've ever seen. Like it's a, it's an awesome experience. I take everyone up there whenever yeah, they come. Definitely. Visit. If you have a chance, I sent that's the area to visit. I mean, yeah. Kahuku and, and just that whole North Shore experience. I think people will really come to enjoy Hawaii, you know, and something that they, uh, would, they'll leave with, um, you know, memories that I think they're going to treasure. Even if they cannot mm-hmm. come back again, they'll mm-hmm. always remember that experience. Changing pace a little bit. Yep. Uh, HPD is finally starting to see positive change under new police chief Susan Ballard, who was selected by the police commission. Uh, why are council members proposing that we take away the police commission's power to pick the chief and give it to the mayor? Why should this process be political? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I, I, you know, it, uh, it's not the membership as a whole. There were a few members. And really, unfortunately, it occurred uh, based on what was uh the situation for the prior chief uh the issue of controversy then you know when the uh, prior chief got into his uh, legal predicaments you know there was an issue of whether the chief should step down until all of these legal issues were resolved but you know there was no authority within the commission itself or even at the mayor's level to take any action you know so uh, it was almost embarrassing i think for whether you you're the mayor or whether you're the commission or even the city council that, sort you know, of neutered you can't yeah, do anything you can't do anything yeah. and you know and for the general public that's unacceptable you know and i think uh the concern was when we had the commission before us there was an issue on a, on a settlement 
that they came to with the chief that ultimately led, led the chief to retire. But, you know, they couldn't share any details with the members of the council. So I think a lot of the members of the council were frustrated that, you know what, if you're not going to share the details with us and we're the elected officials, you're not elected. We're accountable to the general public. We need those answers because we need to respond back to our constituency because they're frustrated and angry. So that, that's what led to the Charter Amendment being introduced. If the commission doesn't want to uh, uh, assume that responsibility, then we'll take it away, you know, and, and delegate it solely within the mayor himself or herself. Uh, so more council business. And this is something uh, when we were, we were putting out feelers for listener questions, something uh, this came up quite a bit again and again. Uh, people are it's probably the number one yeah. thing that oh, people yeah. want to know. People, What's the number are, one thing? What's pe- the number one thing? So you introduced legislation, uh, Bill 87, that would expand the sit-lie ban for homeless people uh, across the entire island of Honolulu. Entire or, sorry, island I, of Oahu. Correction. Entire island of Oahu. Entire, Easy, Holly. Okay, Alabama. <laughs> entire city and, the city and county of Honolulu, as it were. Um, and essentially, people want to know, aren't you just criminalizing homeless people for existing? What options do they have if this goes forward? Yeah. You know, that's that's a good question. I get, I'm glad you asked me that. You know, I've always been reluctant to support the sit-lie measure itself. And, you know, if, if you look at things in isolation, if you just focus on the sit-lie, then you'd be doing a disservice, I think, uh, to the general public as well, to those of us who serve in office. You know, in, a, in, in conjunction with the sit-lie, I think the city council has appropriated more funds than the state and federal government combined. Wow. You know, so the resources are there to assist that population. But if we make it easy for them to continue to live in an, envi- an environment that they shouldn't be living in, they're not going to take advantage of these resources. So we use the sit-lie measure as an incentive to encourage this population that, you know, you should take advantage of what's available because at the end of the day, you cannot tell me that sleeping on the sidewalk or living in that felt is a better lifestyle for you. And that's why, you know, a lot of service providers, that's what they say. It's very frustrating, Ernie, when we go out there and we have shelter space available for them. You know, I mean, they can be fed. Their medical issues can be addressed, but they choose not to accept it. You know, we need something to help us further entice them to take advantage of these services. You know, it's very painful when you drive around Honolulu and you see homeless families. You know, for the adults, they can take care of themselves. Dad, if that's a lifestyle they want to leave, live, I mean, that's fine. But when you see young kids having to grow up in that environment, it's pretty sad. You know, and no, no young, young child should, should live under the, those conditions. Not, you know, in the most powerful nation in the world. I mean, how, how can we let that happen? Are you confident that with the resources allocated by the city, county, and the state, uh, and the feds, that that homeless people who took advantage of them wouldn't necessarily be homeless anymore because one of the things that we have experienced, we've, we've done a couple of episodes on homelessness. Uh, the first was with a program manager, uh, at, uh, a relatively large service provider. And then the second one, we actually went out to Pu'uhonua, O-Y-N-I mm-hmm. and, uh, what we kept seeing was that most of these people are working and they are receiving government services, but even with the work that's full-time frequently and even with government services, there's still not enough to make ends meet. To live. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like there's people who are saying, yeah, I could afford rent, but I couldn't afford, you know, a bus pass after that, or I couldn't afford health insurance or I couldn't afford, 
you know, to keep the lights on. Like I can literally rent the space, but I can't keep the water running, you know, like how, what would you say to somebody who says that this, what you're doing is not, that Bill 87 doesn't actually help break the cycle of homelessness. Yeah, Bill 87 in and of itself doesn't break the, the cycle of homelessness. You're right. Some of the other concerns have to be addressed as well. A livable wage, you know, proper medical care. I think you see uh, both the state and the city moving in that direction, recognizing that those those are gaps, you know, uh, in terms of the, the, the continuum of, of services that need to be provided. You know, all of that has to be addressed. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, shelters were only made as a as a uh, more immediate response, like a last resort. Yeah, you know, we need to we need to build more affordable housing. I mean, people always talk about that, and you have all the developers coming before the council and the state saying we're going to develop affordable housing. You know, affordable housing is six hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars per unit. Anti twinkle on Oina always says affordable to who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I it, I'm glad that you talked about or mentioned that because. Uh, my next question is, what do you think about the housing first model where you give somebody, you basically stabilize their life, give them a place to live, and then everything else kind of falls into place whenever they don't have to worry about that that first order need? Yeah. Housing first is a proven model. I mean, it's, it's the right program to support. But because the, 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 the complexity of the problem itself, I mean, the, the, the dynamics of the, uh, the population that are homeless, housing first not going to work for everyone. Mm. So that's why you have to provide options, right? I mean, housing first primarily focuses more on single, single individual homeless, uh, you know, the people who are homeless and single. But, you know, you have now you, what you see more and more, and I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to see this, but if you go on the Waianae Coast, you see, I mean, there, it's not just families. It's larger families yeah. that are being afflicted by this particular sure. circumstance, right? So we got we to gotta move forward and invest more. And to me, because I grew up in public housing, mm-hmm. you know, we need to, I mean, government needs to step forward and, and, and build more housing, you know. So... That said, uh, my background, you know, we were talking before we started recording, I'm, I'm a practicing attorney now. Prior to that, I worked in real estate development for several years. And uh, you even kind of alluded to it that developers like to say, oh, we're going to build affordable housing and it's a great way for them to get zoning variances yes. and things like that. It's kind of a, you know, I don't want to say quid pro quo, but, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody agrees that we need to build more housing, but we're not doing it. And we had a very big ceremony a couple of weeks ago for the 560 million that's allocated uh into the state's budget for affordable housing but we're not actually i mean to date we haven't really seen any inclination the state or city and county knows what it's doing knows how to build it knows how to build it in a way that it'll interact with the built environment around it and to be something good and we're not really using the resources that we've got to do it so far so why should we believe that it's going to be better in the future? You know, the only way to get better in the future is you got to streamline the bureaucracy. That's the problem I think uh, most developers face. I think they're well-intended. They want to build affordable housing. Some. some. Yeah, some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know some true. that aren't. Yeah, we're not going to mention any names. No, I no, agree with you. But, you know, I think a lot of it, a lot of it is that it's it's just the bureaucracy they got to deal with. I mean, I know you, you, you two young gentlemen haven't faced this situation yet. But if, you know, you're, you're a developer, you ask them a question, you know, what's the average length for you to move forward from from permitting to actually breaking ground? Year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. If you're lucky. If that's only if you don't require rezone. 
Yeah. If you require a rezone, and depending on where where your the that particular parcel is situated, you don't only have to get the county's approval; you have to get the state approval as well. And you know how long that can take? I mean, look at projects like Coral Ridge. How long yeah. Coral Ridge took to to break ground? They just break in ground now, and that project was in the books when I was in high school. Can you imagine that? You know. What about know. something like you know Mayor Wright Homes, where we we already own the land, and we could. I, I guess maybe Mayor Wright's a bad example because Hunt Companies has a big master plan development there, right? Isn't, didn't we give them a deal over there? Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, that, you know uh, with regards to Mayor Wright's, I mean, the pot- potential to develop a, a significant amount of housing on that property uh, is there. You know, I think uh, it behooves us not to commit the necessary resources rather than having it chopped around to find a developer. Because ultimately, what, what that forces that the developer to do is ask for mixed-use housing. Because ultimately, they got to recoup their investment. But if government was to take the lead, this this is a different ballgame. You know, we, we don't necessarily are concerned with the return of our investment yeah, per se. Horizon, yeah. Exactly. But even right across the street, Kukui Gardens, I mean, mm-hmm. if you take a look at that, that can be de- redeveloped as well. You know, there's a 60-foot height limit, I mean, with regards to that particular parcel as well as across the street with Mayor Rights. You can go much higher, create more density. You know, I mean, yeah, and I think for in terms of selling the project, you know, you got to be realistic too. Everybody wants a 1,500-square-foot home, but that's not the reality anymore. It's not what we you need. Know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Not, you don't need that much anymore. If you, yeah. uh, if you go into an older home... Uh, Maybe not as much in Hawaii because we have smaller construction to begin with. But if you go into a, a home on the mainland, there's so much wasted space yes. that you can realistically, as one person, you may say, oh, I need 800 square feet. But you can go into a well-designed unit that is 550 square feet that feels like it's 800 square feet because it's actually thoughtfully put together rather than just something, you know, scattershot. We need a, ca- a closet. So let's put a closet here. Let's put a cabinet there or whatever. Um yeah, you can design around a lot of those yeah. space constraints. I mean, I mean, there is a show on, on cable television, I think Tiny Homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you look at what they do, it's amazing, you know, what they can do with so limited space, but it's it's very livable, very attractive. And I think that's the direction we need to move towards, you know. But I think government has to take the lead. And, and bec- if government does take the lead, then we're able to exercise more exemptions in terms of the process itself. We can exempt ourselves from a lot of require, requirements that a private developer has to go through to expedite you know, the development of, of housing. Can I ask you one more real estate question? I promise this is the last <laughs> nerdy real estate question I'm going to ask. And maybe you, we can talk about this after. You, you may be able to guess what Ryan's secret passion is. Yeah. Yes, uh, <laughs> do you feel like we're shortchanging development in town by letting Kaka'ako sort of run free? Uh, because from a city planning perspective, which some might say the city council is in charge of, uh, developing downtown makes a lot more sense and we're not doing it. There's Mm -hmm. not any, there's no, there's two residential units under construction right now in downtown Honolulu. Uh, but it's the largest employment center on the Island, which when you have to have people traveling to work, it creates traffic congestion it creates wear and tear on your roads, things like that. Uh, and even though Kaka'ako is so close by, we're going to strain our infrastructure by putting people on Queen Street, people on Kapiolani, people on Ala Moana, and create all new issues and just shift things around. Um, and at the same time, Kaka'ako, a lot of the buildings there are wink-wink, owner-occupied. 
but really it's about maybe 15% occupied by full-time residents. Uh, can you kind of talk to that? Maybe the development of Kaka'ako, whether it's sort of vacuuming up all of the opportunity in downtown and and why we're doing it the way we're doing it? Yeah, you know, with regards to Kaka'ako itself, I mean, this is my own personal opinion because it actually falls outside the jurisdiction of the county, you know, because it's on the HCDA. I think that's that's a problem right there. I think ACDA has served this purpose. Purpose, this should be um, abolished, and all of that planning responsibility should come under the county. The reason I say that is not to demean the work they do, but because they're only responsible for a limited area, which is Kakaako. They don't see the big picture, and that's why it, it limits development in other jurisdictions. Of course, developers going to look at Kakaako because they know they can get a free pass to HCDA. But you're right. In downtown Honolulu, I see this all, all the time. You know, a lot of buildings can be repurposed for residential. You see a lot of jurisdictions taking a look at now because commercial space is not premium now. No, you know, so a lot of guys. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of it can be repurposed. A lead place. You know, right across the street from the courts, that's a commercial building. I can tell you right now, it's at least 40% vacant. You know, so if we take a look at repurposing some of those structures, you know, you'll see other developers take a look at it. With rail coming forward through Chinatown, it's unlimited what we could do if we plan it right. We'll talk after this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, If we could move on to talking about the third rail of Hawaii politics, which is the first rail to ever be built in Hawaii. You just want to make that pun. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to do. Uh, so, I, yeah. So, for people who observe the city council, they probably figure it seems like 50% of what you guys do is homelessness and housing, and the other 50% is rail. So, <laughs> argue about, about rail. rail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, tell us about your trip to D.C. that you just got back from. You know, uh, it was it was a good trip. I mean, the whole issue with the trip to D.C. was, uh, one, was to address their, their concerns when we had a change of leadership that they thought the support for rail was, was starting to get weak. Uh, so, that was to reassure them that you know uh, the the support for rail from the legislative perspective perspective had not changed you know uh, and the, the the rest of the discussion was primarily i think uh, to convince them that we were in a position that the federal funds that they've been uh, withholding from the county uh, should be released you know, I'm, I'm a little different, I think, in terms of my demeanor with the FTA, you know, which is quite different from the mayor. You know, I look at it this way. The FTA always approaches the city with respect to this project as being a, a partner in the project itself. Even under the Trump, the new Trump administration? That hasn't well, it's changed. a little different under the Trump administration. I, that's true. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, their, their investment in the project, $1.55 billion, was contemplated when the project was only five point three billion. Mm-hmm. Right now, the project is close to nine billion. So their investment has decreased, so to speak, with regards to what the overall scope of the project. You know, I I look at it this way. I mean, I, I'm an attorney like you, you two gentlemen, right? To me, that they are minority partner. You know, <laughs> being a minority partner, it's the majority partner yeah. that should dictate how the project should proceed. You know, the mayor doesn't want to take that approach because he's he's afraid of losing our, our federal entitlement with respect to that. And, you know, it has nothing to do with Senator Inouye's legacy because I can tell you that if the senator was still alive, he would agree. You know, they, they cannot hold a, a shotgun to our head, so to speak, for their minority investment, right? I mean, if they were more flexible, let me tell you this, we probably could do a far better job with the project. You know, is it necessary to have all 21 stations on a 20-mile project? Don't you think that's too much? You know, we can save we can save uh, a few billions by 
you know, limiting the number of stations uh, on the project until such time that we can afford it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you talk about Kakaako. I mean, it's bad enough that Kakaako was contemplated because rail was going to come through. Mm-hmm. They thought they that's how they was going to recoup their investment. You know, they can sell rail as part of their project. Uh, they still do. Yeah, and they do. Howard Hughes that's has right. it in there. But Howard Hughes, is, Howard Hughes is, you know, uh, in a position now where they're negotiating for the city to put a station on their property. They want to, they've asked the city for $200 million for that piece of property. I, I told our, our, our administrators, they move the station. Move the station out of Kakaako and then see what Howard Hughes is going to ask for then. You know, they cannot demand upon us to, to, to compensate them for a project that they were relying upon to to line their pockets you know somebody has to stand up especially when kakaako's entire development was predicated on that project you can't then turn around and and demand 200 million for the land that you're benefiting to the tune of several billion because of and you know how many millions already they made off of off their developments yeah yeah? how many millions already so you can, you, always, you can always have more money, I believe, is the... Uh, you, I mean, nothing wrong with that. Are you, uh, are you one of those guys that thinks we should stop at Middle Street? Uh, no. No, I think so it'd like, be a mistake for yeah. us to stop at Middle Street. You're absolutely right. Especially what you, you know, you'd say, if it's if it's critical to the success of Kakako and Chinatown, which are both quite a bit further than Middle Street. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the thing is, is wherever you put the rail station, it's gonna, that area is going to be the place to be because it's going to be transit-oriented development. People are going to want to be living near those stations. I mean, everybody hates that it's going to be so expensive, but everybody's going to want to live near a rail oh, stop. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because That's... you don't have to drive anymore. Yeah, you can get exactly. To, you can go to Koalina or Kapolei. You can, you know, go to Kapolei and take a Uber over to Koalina, and, like, you can be there in 20 minutes and not have to drive. You can go out there and have drinks. I mean, like, it's going to change the entire island. I agree. Yeah. I agree. You know, and even that with regards to the Middle Street, the whole Middle Street campus argument, you know, we own the Middle Street, as you know, the bus depot in that area, but even that should be repurposed. Why are we using it as a bus storage yard when that should be a, a major TOD hub, right? Yeah. You talk about affordable housing. You know how much housing we could put on that property? Yeah. Right? And with... Uh, Oahu Community Correctional Center also looking at redeveloping. You know, it's it's great. It's a great opportunity. You know. Finish the sentence. The first passengers will ride rail to work in the year. Uh, twenty twenty five is what they predict. That's what Congresswoman Hanabusa said. Twenty twenty five. Two for two so far. Now, uh, some people have also raised concern. Uh, new proposals coming out from the city regarding Uber, Lyft, ride sharing. Um, given rail's uncertainty, uh, or the, you know, at least the fact that we'll be waiting until 2025, uh, doesn't it make sense to have as many transportation options as possible? Oh, definitely. I think we had that discussion today. I mean, the Uber and Lyft is just one of many discussions we've had, but you know, the Lime scooters, yeah, you know, that came it? up today. That came up today. <laughs> like, I actually love how the city handled that. <laughs> yeah, just, that, that was poorly handled. I mean, from a public relations standpoint. They did the right thing. Those guys tried to come in and just, yeah. and just totally blitzkrieg right. the city. We didn't know they were going to be mopeds. Like, they you, totally knew. Yeah. I mean, they did the Uber model. They tried to just come yes, in yes, and, exactly. and just assume it would be so popular that it's too toxic to, to take them away. Yeah. I love that we did that. We were like, no, because... You know, Uber and Lyft, I, I'm like, it's a different issue. You've yeah. got you've got cars on the road, like you it, it's you've got a uh, the infrastructure's there to have cars on the road and people can ride with people all the time. But like Lime the Lime bike, they're like riding on the sidewalks, they're gonna hit aunties, they're gonna like they're gonna run into a stroller and knock a baby into the street. I mean, it's like 
it's serious no it is serious and that's why i think you know i think the county took a pause with regards to that particular action and and find some way that perhaps you know if, if they are viable that we do allow it but again in a way that ensures for the public safety right because you're right i mean i see those schools i want to get on it myself but it some, look are, fun. It looks some fun. of my younger colleagues they love it you know? guarantee they they're it. fun yeah yeah they just need to be regulated yeah. right nope. and, and, and i agree I agree, but I mean, uh, you know, there's there's some argument that we gave preferential treatment to like Uber and Lyft when they first came in. We didn't we didn't play hardball with them. I don't recall it that way. The no. the the whole situation with the Beaky bikes, you know, in terms of how how much the city extended itself to to make that a viable project. You know, it's almost a double standard. Now we're taking a hard line on another mode of transportation, but you know, that's that's something that the members going to debate. You know, it's it's I mean, for listeners at home. And this may not be a popular opinion, but it's different when you've got Bicky and when you've got Uber because you're using a part of the infrastructure for motorized transportation that it was designed to be used for. You're using roads. When you get on those line bikes and you can hop on the sidewalk and you can run people down. I mean, I saw the first week there they were around, I saw like three guys weaving in and out of crowded sidewalks. And I'm like, you're going to hurt somebody. Like you should, I mean, if you're, if they were only on the street, if for some, if they had a, a homing beacon that shut them down when they were on the sidewalk, it's a completely different story in my mind. But like the fact that they're using an infrastructure that's pedestrian oriented to have motorized transport and there's no like dedicated lane, it changes the issue. What if man. we just keep them on the street? Like really small moped rentals. Yeah. I think it'd be great. Or if we, if we had bike lanes and they're riding in the bike lanes, it's annoying because they're slower than a bike, but I think that's fine. Yeah. And I, mean, I think that's, that's probably where the city is headed on that particular issue. But you're right with you guys to Uber and Lyft, but the Beaky bike argument is, is probably something that's more relevant because Agreed. you know the city uh, took away traffic lanes primarily to accommodate the whole Beaky bike program. I mean, it was something that we bent over backwards for to make sure that that project would succeed. You know, additionally, we're taking away a lot of public parking spaces mm-hmm. and even just general public public areas to accommodate, you know, the, the, the docking stations itself. So it's a little different uh, when you talk about that. But Umar and Lyft, you're right. I mean, it's a different situation. But, uh, you know, I think with regards to that issue, I mean, although we're discussing it, at the end of the day, I think it would all work out. We, we want Uber and Lyft to continue. To, to be in Honolulu and to do a good business. You know, it's just some, some concerns I think the members have that we want to address and to let them know that, you know, we do have rules that they need to play by. Yeah. Exactly. Let's um, let's switch gears and let's talk about the race for Congress. Uh, so you, you said you had a candidate for him today. Yes. How, how'd that go? Tell us about it. Uh, good. I mean, it was, it was the first time I think all five candidates worked together side by side. The only disappointing thing, I think, we only had a minute to respond to to the questions that were asked. It's not long minute, at all. Yeah, a minute is very short, especially for us attorneys, right? <laughs> I, I mean, we, 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 we want thing. a much, much longer scene. forum. We need to have the context. We got to give you the procedural history. Yeah. And, and I think the the, the, the reason why uh, a minute was far too short, because, you know, this these are five candidates all from the same party, the Democratic yeah. Party. We're not going to differ much in, in, in terms of philosophy or other issues we support. But I think you know there wasn't there was a, only a limited amount of time to talk about why you know the candidate A or candidate B felt with respect to any particular issue what made them qualified uh, to serve in Congress to move that agenda forward. I mean everybody can say I support a livable minimum wage, but how are you going to accomplish that? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. really. I mean, and, and any other sensitive issue. It's you know? funny that you mentioned that topic in particular. I think was it episode fourteen. 
we had Nate Hicks, yeah. who's from, he's the executive director at Living Wage Hawaii mm-hmm. on, and he was talking about legislators who support a minimum, a livable minimum wage. And uh, I, it was either off mic, I don't know, I remember if it was on record or off mic, but he mentioned your name actually as being one of the people who is like ardently in favor of paying people a wage that you can actually live on. So, you know, I, I think for myself, it's a personal issue because you guys know I was raised in public housing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I uh, uh, when you come from that kind of environment, I was fortunate then. I mean, our family was lucky because we had public housing. But that was a time when there was a, an abundant supply of public housing. You know, you don't you don't have that situation now. So that means, you know, families have to go on open market. And, you know, I mean, it's the cost of living in Hawaii is, is you know, it, exactly. It's out of control. You know, and with the issue of, of uh, transit vacation rentals, you know, taking away an inventory of, of rental units that could be put on the market for, for, for families, it's no longer there. So, you know, in terms of a livable minimum wage, I know they talk about $15 but an hour, but can $15 an hour cut it? I don't think so. Not in Hawaii. Not in Honolulu, for I sure. I don't right? think so either. Yeah. Uh, so we need to get serious. If we're going to commit to that, then commit to a reasonable number. So, um... Your council seat is up in 2018, which means you decided not to run for re-election, but to run for Congress instead. So given everything going on, uh, Trump, the world, why now? Uh, well, the, the, the real reason is is that, you know, if you guys know county government, we only can serve two terms. So I'm term limited. Mm-hmm. I cannot serve in, uh, on the council any longer. Um, you know, I can take a hiatus and come back. But actually, it's the right time to go to Congress. I think with the Congresswoman Conleen Hanabusa stepping down, you know, it's a great opportunity. I think uh, with respect to myself, you know, I'm fortunate. I've worked directly with the federal government. I said this today, you know, of all the candidates that were there today, I think I'm the only one who served both on the executive and legislative mm-hmm. branch. And what people don't understand is that, you know, on the, the executive branch can only go so far. The legislative branch can only go so far. They can get further if they work together. That's the key. You know, we can pass any initiative that we want to pass on the legislative side. If the administration chooses not to move it forward, it was awful not. And vice versa. The executive branch can can put a budget request uh, before the legislative body. But if we don't choose to support it, that project isn't going to go anywhere. You know, so I think with respect to Congress, I always say this, and, and our good friend or mutual friend Peter Boylan always knows this. He probably stole this idea from, from me, but <laughs> when there's crisis, there's opportunity. And right now, we're in crisis, so there's opportunity. You know, the system of seniority, people always talk about that we need to elect a younger legislator, but I disagree. You know, nobody has respect for seniority in D.C. anymore. I mean, Trump has thrown that out the window, right? With his insults and, and you know, his uh, inconsistency and his policies. You know, they were talking about the trade tariff today. You know, what's my position on the trade tariff? This is what I respond. Is there a trade tariff? Because he he, he takes a hardline approach and then, you know, he backtracks and yeah. said, oh, I'm reconsidering. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever he saw on Fox and Friends that morning, I'm going to get real riled up about. And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I think those are the type of, of issues, I think, of whoever has the opportunity to serve and, you know, I, I think uh, my experience and, and my record of accomplishments, you know, I think uh, qualifies me to serve in that capacity. Speaking of your campaign, other than your Twitter beef with Kanyela Ng, oh. what's been the highlight of your campaign so far? You know, the highlight of my campaign thus far, uh, I wouldn't call that a beef. You know, it, it, it just comes Who among down us to has this. not had Twitter oh. beef with Kanyela Ng? But, but, you know, it comes down to respect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Respect. There's certain, there's certain places you should never go. 
Sure. You know, that, that was the point of it. You know, why, why bring this issue up when the senator is gone? You know, uh, you know he's not here to defend himself, but more so, why why bring this on his family? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so it shows just a lack of respect, I think, on his part. You know, just to make a name for himself. See, that's a difference. I, I don't I don't promote an agenda that's gonna benefit me politically. You know, people are very surprised when I go out, and we had one today. I had a res uh, a bill up today. You know, and uh, introduce a bill. And actually, what I told him is that you know I didn't introduce, I didn't come up with this bill on my own. I, I came up with, I came up with the bill based on a constituent's concern. And the constituent was there today to testify, and he came up and said, "You know what? You know, I, I've never approached an elected official before." And when I when I went up to chair and I explained my issue to him, he said, "You know what? I'll, I'll draft a bill for you, but then it's incumbent upon you to come forward and testify." And say why this bill is important for you, because ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to con- convince four more of my colleagues that this is the right direction for us mm-hmm. to go. But you know, that's why I think uh, we need to do more as legislators. Restore that trust, you know, the general public that we elected officials are actually here for them. We we serve you, you know. You know, you shouldn't be serving us, but that's the mentality I think a lot of elected officials have, unfortunately. Speaking of bills. What about the styrofoam ban bill? <laughs> you know, I think that that'll come back up. I, uh, I know that was held it seems in committee. to keep coming back up. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we were hoping actually, you know, a lot of these bills, it would be, be much easier that the, the state just takes it on and address it, you know, holistically as opposed to each county having to, to address it separately because then there's consistency in the law. You know, it's like the fireworks ban. Only Honolulu has a fireworks ban. And you know, you still would see fireworks, right? Yeah. You know where you know where the fireworks I, are coming seen from? Them. No, not here. Right? They're coming from the other islands. That's <laughs> how they're coming on, because I mean, that that that's how they're coming to Honolulu. I, but with an issue like the styrofoam ban, I mean, you could easily argue as Honolulu goes, so too does the state, because yeah. styrofoam is largely a consumer good, which is related to restaurants, and you know, the overwhelming majority of restaurants in Hawaii are located on Oahu. So, if city and county banned it here. It makes your supply chain harder. It'd probably lead to less and less throughout the islands. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we we can set the example and take the lead and embarrass the state as we've done time and time again. <laughs> you know, but that uh, shots I fired mean, again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's the way. Sometimes it has to be done. Unfortunately, yeah. right? I mean, especially in a state where one city is so much of the population base. Exactly. I mean, you see it in like New York City Council. Mm-hmm. You see it in, I don't know. I'm trying to think maybe Los Angeles has a similar scenario. Well, California Los- is also a huge state. Yeah, so. I know. Yeah. I, it's, they don't really fit. Maybe yeah. Seattle works well or Atlanta or something yeah, like but that. But LA, LA's council is actually very powerful. They are, yeah. There's only six uh, six or seven of them, smaller than actually Honolulu. Oh, wow. And like you know, population like 20 times? Same, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 20 so times the size so they're of... they're very powerful. Each member is very powerful. Yeah. You know, I think uh, you'd be surprised. There's been There have been members of Congress who have chosen to step down from Congress to run for a seat yeah, in the council in LA. Before, yes, yeah. a couple of them. I met them. You know, they said it was more fun. They can get more things done. Yeah, you know? Don't have to go back and forth to D.C. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got um, some listener questions that we, yeah. that we solicited and it got submitted. Uh, this is uh, I'm actually this is actually really relevant considering we were just talking about uh, your panel this morning. Uh, in a state so heavily dominated by Democrats, what distinguishes you from the rest of the field? Yeah, thank you. Good question. Well, I serve on the city council. We are a nonpartisan body. 
You know, I think uh, with respect to Washington, can you tell the difference between a Democrat and a Republican nowadays? I don't think you can. And even within the Republican Party itself, it's so disenfranchised. And unfortunately, even within the Democratic Party. We see you Dodd-Frank voters. Yep. 33, 33, <laughs> 33 House Democrats, Democrats today voted to get rid of Dodd-Frank. So. Yep. So you, you, you see. I the mean, only color is green, not blue or red. And that's the key, I think. When you get up there in, in D.C., I mean, you cannot look along party lines. You know, I think what you have to do is is develop your own coalition amongst those who share similar interests. You know, I remember meeting with a congressman, a former congressman and former governor, Abercrombie. You know, and he said, at the end of the day, Ernie, all you really care about is to, seeing 218 green lights light up for an issue that you support. That's all you have to remember. Mm. The, the green lights don't tell you whether they're Republican or Democrat. You just need to get 218 green lights to get your issue across. And I think that's the key for those. You know, that's why when I go out and I campaign, I don't talk about the fact that I'm going, I'm going up there to, to, to go up and criticize Donald Trump. I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? He does a good job of it himself. The jokes, yeah, the jokes write themselves. That, that doesn't really serve the, the interests yeah. of our state, oh, right? This is, a, this is like a lovely bipartisan sentiment, but uh, in <laughs> Donald Trump's America, is this still, is this still possible? <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. Uh, what do you think? I mean, is it? Do you think? You know, I, I mean, it's unfortunate. I think what the what the what the president has done, I think, in terms of his leadership, you know, is actually weak in America. You know, I think the mm-hmm. uh, uh, perception amongst our, our even our our foreign allies are probably not as strong as it it was no. in the past. You know, uh, I think it's because they view President Trump as as unstable. You know, never not predictable. You know, which which to me is not surprising. I mean, the surprise. I mean, even to this day, when I read about President Trump, because you know, I hardly get to watch television. I still can't believe we elected him as president. I still can't believe it. I happened. have that same feeling. You know, but it yeah. is reality, yeah. and we got to deal with it for two more years. But I think you know, it gives us. Uh, if, if you know, if I'm able to serve, I think even as a freshman, that usually freshmen don't get many opportunities to pass legislation, but. You know, I'm confident, I think, that uh, I can be very effective from day one. Another listener question. What will you do to address climate change and its impacts on Hawaii, specifically coastal erosion and coral bleaching? Yeah, good good question. You know, it's, it's actually a question that came up at the forum. Hey. Yeah, Maybe it came up the at the forum. It might be. You know, I think, of course, on, disappointingly, I think, you know, President Trump pulling out of the Paris you know climate accord was a big mistake i think on our part i think hawaii is in a good position irrespective of what happens nationally only because i think both at the state and the county level we have already had the foresight uh, to create entities government entities to address those specific issues i cannot really speak on the state because i serve on the county side but it's not just a matter of creating a, a dedicated office to address that particular issue you know it's dedicating the resources to do something about it you know, I, I wouldn't think that uh, uh, I wouldn't be as concerned with respect to where we stand because we were fortunate that the Rockefeller Foundation gave the city a substantial grant because they knew this is the right direction that we should be headed. And in light of, you know, President Trump's action, I think it was, you know, it was, I think, excellent foresight on our part to already have moved forward on this particular issue. Okay, this is a really tough one. Okay. What do you do for fun? What I do for fun. We were asked that question today, too. You know, 
what I do for this fun. candidate forum needs to stop either <laughs> a stop stealing our questions or b have who us MC. Yeah. Sorry, who hosted the candidate forum? Uh, it was the Chamber of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce, you're on notice. You're Cut on it out. Chamber, notice. The same question they ask. You know, what do you do in your spare time? That's what you, they do. Okay. You do. But you know, my, what I actually what I what I like to do. My daily routine is this. You know, I get to the gym at about 5 30 in the morning i do my weights i do my cardio but that's to me that's that's a time that i really enjoy it's actually when i come up with my best legislative ideas get in you the know, zone my staff yeah my staff always says you know you're always texting us at 5 6 o'clock <laughs> in the morning telling us to do this and do that so i enjoy that but more than that i enjoy my family you know i come from a larger family uh, nine kids with my mom and dad of course 11 of us in a crowded household yeah but, you know, my own family, I say this, you know, I, I rarely take any events. Peter Boylan knows this on Sunday, even though it's at my political detriment, because, you know, that's a day that I always reserve for my family. I'm fortunate my dad is still alive. He's 94 years old. Awesome. You know, so I have lunch with him every Sunday. That's awesome. And uh, he always tells me about how he saw me on TV and <laughs> you know, t- asking me, why did we decide this? Why did we decide that? You know, so I talk to him about it. And then in the evening, I have my in-laws over. That's awesome. You know, and I, I usually cook for them. Uh, I prepare right a meal for them. And then make? I have my own kids. Whatever. I mean, I'm a good cook. You guys oh, yeah? Be, you guys be surprised. What's your specialty? Um, you know, I can cook everything pretty much. But my son now, he hardly eats meat. So I'm mostly seafood, like a lot of fish mm. dishes, a lot of salmon okay. dishes. I like to do different things with that. But, you know, I just I just like to have my family with me. I mean, it's, it's very important to me. It keeps me grounded, I think. You know, it's the real reason why I think... Uh, you know, for me, a lot of initiatives that I propose tend to be more family oriented, and sure. I've always been concerned with that. You know, and, and in Hawaii, that's what makes Hawaii special. I mean, you you guys know. I mean, uh, the family bond. I mean, local families, and it's not just your immediate family. You know, you can meet somebody today and tomorrow. You like family. You know, yeah. come into the house, hey, help yourself, whatever you want in the fridge, help yourself, right? That's the local yeah. style. Got one yeah. right next to me. Yeah, and we're all part of the Richardson's family too, right? Yeah, exactly. All yeah. all three of us. Yeah. yeah. Note to future guests, you do not have to have attended the William S. Richardson School of Law to come on our show, but it does help. It does help. Yeah. It does help. Um, next question. How can we use technology to achieve Hawaii's stated energy and transportation goals? You know, uh, I, I think uh, for us, I think we got we, we, we have to be uh, abreast of all the, the latest technical changes. You know, this is different. Even from five years ago when I first got into office, technology evolved so quickly but I don't think government is adapting to the changing you know, world in terms of technology. So I think for us, I think we need to invest in, 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 in one, the infrastructure to ensure that we can accommodate all these technical changes. But more so, I think we, we, need, we need to be attentive you know, in terms of from a legislative perspective to ensure that there's appropriate regulations in place, not to necessarily uh, regulate, the, uh, the industry but not to impede the industry because i think that's what's happening you know but even like like the rail project itself you know i mean you would think very simplistic issues in terms of when we we doing the project and, and planning the cables underground for the system itself you know all the, all the necessary infrastructure should be there but it wasn't you know so yeah. it shows we need to pay attention we need to pay attention you mentioned uh staying abreast of trends and things like that are there any organizations, any businesses, people like that, figures that you look to in Hawaii's technology landscape that you think are really like kind of the standard bearers or people that you or think are great influencers? You know, I, I, um, n- not directly myself. I think it's a lot of a lot more with the interactions I have with just people who are more abreast of this issue. Mm. You know, 
I'm, you know, I think that the younger elected officials have have uh, are more technical, techni- technically savvy in that respect. I'm kind of old school. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot of my colleagues, I mean, they like to look at legislation on the iPad. You know, I gotta have the hard copy. I gotta look at it and be able to write on it and feel it. You know, I'm, I'm that's that's way. me. I'm old school in that way. So I really I rely upon my staff. You know, to keep me abreast of what's the latest, you know, in any particular industry. And, you know, it's, it's just impossible to keep up, but it's evolving so quickly. Okay. If you were put on a desert island and you could only bring one movie, one book, and one album, I guess musical album, which three would you bring with you? This is a uh, listener question. This is a listener, right? a listener this is not question. Us. Okay. What was the three items again? Uh, movie, movie, book, okay. and album. Okay. Movie would be the Great Santini. I don't know if you guys heard of that I've movie. Never, I've never seen I, it. I, you know, when I it's when I classic. dated my wife, my wife always asked me, "Was it what was it like being raised in a you know in in an environment that you were raised?" Because my dad retired military, yeah. so I told her, "Watch this movie, The Great Santini." If you watch that movie, that's exactly how we were brought up. But it's about this uh, is a, a military officer, a marine officer, who struggled with the fact that you know, uh, I mean, he, uh, in, in raising his family, he couldn't separate his family from the military troops that he was responsible for. So he raised his family like they were military troops, you know. So it's a very touching story. If you guys get to see it, it's uh, Robert Duvall, probably oh. one of his best performances. You know, if I couldn't have that one, the other one would be The Godfather. I love The Godfather. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love The exactly Godfather. exactly what you want to hear from a politician, right? <laughs> yeah, I love The Godfather. I cannot help it. Yeah. Uh, book, book to read, you know, probably would be that. I mean... Uh, you know, I don't get an, an, as much opportunity to read. I like actually autobiographies. Okay. You know, I like that. I like to hear people's personal story. You know, um, uh, that that's what uh, in, I enjoy because you know, you know, it's 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 fact more than fiction, right? And what was that last? What was the last uh, album? Oh, album. that's easy. That's easy. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Guy, Greatest hits man. or yeah, the great okay. uh, the live album. Nice. Like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Where you have the reasons, the extended version of reasons. I mean, did how can s- you get better than that? Did man? you see them when they came to Blaisdell? Uh No, I didn't see them. I was I wasn't able to see them. But you know, just to hear that album, and you gotta hear it. On the hard copy, the old vinyl disc, you know, man, because it's different. It comes through better. Yeah, yeah. it comes much better. But that, that's a no-brainer for me. I, I can listen to that album All every right. day. That's a, that's a strong choice. I like that. Final question. Every guest we have, we ask them for a restaurant recommendation. Uh, can we get your number one favorite restaurant recommendation for Honolulu or all of Oahu, in case you want to rep your, rep your district? <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of fine restaurants, but most more food trucks in my district, right? I mean, North Shore is the food truck. Sure. You have a lot of good food trucks out in the North Shore, and every day there's a new one coming up. But I would say the ones that I have been going to more frequently is actually Mr. Oji-san. I don't know if you On know Kapu-Hulu? Mr. Oji-san. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's a small, out of the way, but uh, you know, very quaint. But uh, it's authentic Japanese food. My mom is from Japan, so when I when I go there, it's it's things that remind me of what my mom used to prepare for us when we were younger. Awesome. You know, so I like to go there, and it's, it's a nice it's a nice restaurant. It's the first local restaurant I ever ate at in Honolulu. Really? Oh yeah. And uh, despite my grandmother being Japanese and doing her best to raise me as a young uh, Japanese uh, gaijin, um, 
I did not know how to use chopsticks. Oh, <laughs> oh so don't, the lady, don't admit to that. She told me to get ramen. Don't admit to that. And then she, and then she had to bring me over a fork. Oh and my god! And she just god. like she like slipped it. She was oh, like so embarrassed yeah, after bringing me a fork. Okay. Oh poor girl. <laughs> Who's yeah. the howling now? I know. Bro, I know. <laughs> All right. So uh, and then date night. You're going out. Nice dinner. Where are you going? Um, you know, for my wife, um, we like Italian food. She likes to go Italian. You know, um, uh, where I live, Milanani Malka, normally it's Asagio. We go to Asagio. Asagio is good. Um, you know, we always, and you know, you have your choice between the regular plate and the the small plate. You know, my wife, she's very tiny, but if you, if you ever ate with her and Peter has, (laughs) she can hold her own. She can hold her own. I love it. Well, you're not doing bad from a boy from public housing. <laughs> so, Milani Malka, what, what, how long does it take you to get to and from Honolulu Holly every day? Um, normally, well, I leave early in the morning, so when I get into town in the morning, it takes me half an hour. Okay. To get in town, going That's home like so this bad. this time of the day, anywhere from forty five minutes to an hour to get back home. It's it's tougher getting back home. Yeah. And now they're doing a lot of construction, so it doesn't really matter what time of the night you're leaving i mean easily i used to leave 7 7 30 i can get home in in 30 minutes now no way no way uh, you're talking easy 45 minutes to an hour that's why we need rail guys yeah <laughs> send it up to send it, up to Milan, yeah. send it to uh send it to Hawaii, send you it know, everywhere and ultimately i think you know if we're satisfied with rail just going to ala moana you know then we we've done a disservice you know to all of our constituency you gotta get to uh manoa by Amen. far Amen. We need to plan for that. So when you send me to Congress, you can rest assured I'll fight for that. Love it. That was that was slick. I like that final pitch. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, not not to blow your final pitch, but any any final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, I mean, I appreciate the opportunity. You know, to any time to just just share my thoughts. Uh, You know, I think uh, I think you know what I find being an elected official. A lot of people are are not engaged. And I think it's basically because they think most elected official, officials are not responsive to what they feel is a media concern. Mm-hmm. You know, although, I mean, you know, God bless Doug, Doug, Doug Chin for taking on Trump on the immigration issue. You know, when I go out there and I meet my constituency and I ask them, how important is this issue to you? You know what they tell me? What are you talking about? You know what's important to me, Ernie? You see that road over there? You know. Every six months, I got to go in and get my, my, you know, my car realigned. You know why? Because the roads are terrible. Yeah. If you can just pave those roads, I'm happy, you know, because I'm on there every day. You know, I'm on there every day, right? Get that homeless guy out of that bathroom. You know, when I go to my kid's soccer game, I can't, nobody wants to go in that bathroom because it's filthy. There's no toilet paper in there. Take care of that. That's what I'm concerned about. You know, so sometimes we have to humble ourselves. We think we have these great ideas of what people want. But actually, if you don't actually go out there and talk to them, you really don't know. You know, so I'm hoping that, you know, for, for your listening audience, you know, at least with my office, well, even while my time I still have in, in, in the council itself, you know, I listen, you know, and I might well, not agree worry, with you. Don't worry, I got a lot of ideas we're going to talk about uh, here yeah. tonight. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, Peter will tell you that. I've always been very receptive and I've always been a risk taker in that sense. You know, I've been, I, I'm going to end with this because I know my boy Peter is listening. <laughs> you know, when, when I hired Peter at the council, I don't know if you know Peter worked for me for a brief period of mm. time. You know, and the criticism was there is that he didn't have any experience in the field of what we were hiring him for. But, you know, I, I told my staff that's the exact reason why we should hire him. 
because we have all the experts in the field. But guess what? At the end of the day, the problem not getting any better. Perhaps we need somebody with a different perspective, you know, who has a different orientation in terms of what he or she thinks we should be headed. You know, and I think that, you know, that that's something that, you know, I've always carried with me. I don't have all the answers, you know, and, and you don't have to be an expert in that field to share your thoughts because, hey, how I know that it, it, it may work, it may, it may not work, but it may work, right? So it's a risk you got to take. And, uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I mean, I have had the opportunity to, to interact with people like Peter and, uh, you know, I feel enriched for it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Honolulu City Council Chair Ernie Martin and Congressional District Candidate for the 1st Congressional District of Oahu. Thank you, Chair Martin. Chair oh, Martin thank you. Thank, thank you, so thank you again, guys, for having me. And uh, thank you for your vote. All right. I hope you both good vote. That's the main thing, vote. Oh, we will. Yeah. Okay, good. Very good. Thank you, guys. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.